You're listening to Women Heard, brought to you by New York Women in Communications. I'm your host, Julie Hockheiser Ilkovich. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Evie Gavin, who is a career and leadership coach. She has her own company, Better with Phoebe, and we are just thrilled, thrilled to have her on the podcast today to talk everything, jobs, careers, career transitions. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. We're going to start this episode like we start every episode. We like to ask every woman who joins us on the podcast um, about the biggest challenge facing women in the workplace today. What do you think that challenge is? I think that challenge is the AI adoption gap. Um, Part of the reason why the journalism industry is struggling the way that it has been for the last 10 or 15 years is because it sat out the technological revolutions happening around it. And uh, the studies and surveys and polls that are coming out are showing that women are sitting out the AI revolution. Uh, Men are adopting AI in their personal and professional lives at three, four, five, 10 times the rate of women, depending on what survey or what study you look at. And I, I am a really strong proponent of making that decision very intentionally. Don't let the revolution just happen around you. If you make the choice that you're not gonna engage with AI, that's fine as long as you do that from an instructed, clear place. Um, AI is not going to take your job. A human using AI with the same skill set as you is what's going to take your job. And the data points to that being men. Wow, such a great answer. Thank you. We've been, obviously, as you can imagine, talking about AI on this podcast and kind of what's coming for us and what isn't. And I think it's the the way you put it is so perfect. Um, And that... It's, it's going to happen and it's not going to take your job, but someone who knows how to use it will take your job. Like, can you talk more about why you think or what the data shows women are not really adapting as quickly as men? Well, a lot of it is just a reflection of the demographics of the tech industry, the people who are working on AI and the people who are working around AI and the tech industry generally is much more leaning toward men. And so men are excited about it. Men are interested in it. Men are the people building it. Men are the people talking about it. Uh, And that's not to say that women are not involved. They are just disproportionately less involved. And so it you are a man and your media environment, your social media environment is also dominated by men. You are probably hearing about it more than you would if you were a woman and have more women-centric uh, media exposure. I also think there is uh, more of a space for men to have the time and the energy to put into building the new skill of learning how to use AI as a tool. And women are more likely to be wearing lots of hats in their personal and professional lives and feel as if they don't have time for that. And so those are my two theories, the sort of gender gap in the tech industry generally, and then the obvious time and uh, and domestic labor issues that uh, women face in both their personal lives and in their professional lives. And do you have any advice, anything you've seen in your own world or read about or um, are experiencing yourself in terms of how women can really dive in? How can they get started? Anything small they can do to make it feel, if they're not involved in this world, make it not feel as overwhelming as I am sure many people are feeling when they look out at the landscape of AI? Well, my recommendation is to just play. I learned it by just playing with it. I have played with a handful of tools and found the ones that I really like. And I played with them until I figured out how they worked. There are also lots of really fantastic resources out there, newsletters and blogs, and that can help you 
identify some of the use cases in your personal life and professional life that you can explore. And of those, you can choose which ones feel right to you. Um, at the end of the day, any data that we put into these tools, we should assume that it is being used for training data. And so the first thing that I would recommend is thinking about what are your privacy preferences in terms of trade-offs? Are you willing to trade off some of your privacy for more efficiency? And think about it like a spectrum. There might be some things that you're willing to give to the training data, and there might be things that you're not willing to give to the training data, and that's fine. And then once you've made that decision, just play. And eventually, it'll start to feel comfortable, and you'll start to learn how it works and start building that instinct. And then you can decide where you want to take it after that. Don't put a lot of stakes on it. Just play. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that's missing from the whole conversation around AI often is like, it's supposed to make our lives easier. And I know often, at least myself, I feel overwhelmed with like, oh my gosh, how am I going to learn these tools? It's going to be so hard. So looking for interesting ways that it can make your life easier <laughs> could be a good place to start as well. As a career coach, I spend a lot of time with folks who are looking for jobs, either because they're between jobs or because they're in a role that isn't serving their needs and would like to find a new one. And job seeking is incredibly time consuming. And uh, I am certainly not <laughs> intimidated by the idea of people going and using AI to support their career growth and their job search. Uh, as much as I enjoy the work of career coaching and hope to continue doing it, it is an expensive service. And so if there are ways for you to get some of the support that you would want from a, uh, a live human expert from those tools and then sort of close the gap with a human, that's a really efficient way to use AI in a task that is both thankless, time-consuming, and also uh, has, uh, it has a very low return on investment. Great advice. And just to even plug this podcast a little bit, a little bit more, we did have a few episodes back, someone from the um, Marketing AI Institute come on to talk just a little bit more about where to start. So if you are listening to this podcast, you go back a few episodes, you can hear even more about this topic, but I am thrilled that you brought this as your challenge for women facing the women in the workforce, what we are facing, because I think it's so true. We're definitely not talking about it in this specific way, especially as it pertains to women. So thank you so much. And now I want to talk about more about you. Um, want to hear about your journey, your career journey, wherever you want to start, if you think it's helpful to start way back, college, internships, and how you got where you are today. Sure. Well, my coaching practice grew out of my love of mentorship. I I uh, grew up low income. I was, my parents were not going to be able to send me to college. And so I joined the army to get college money. And it was a very difficult experience for me. It was a very traumatic experience for me. And when I got out, I was struggling a lot. And I was very fortunate to accidentally come upon a veteran who had was much farther in his transition, who mentored me through mine. And if I'm being very truthful, he saved my life. And that experience taught me that it is absolutely essential that you pull others up with you as you climb. And I constantly through my entire career was looking for ways to pull others up as I was climbing the career ladder. And I it developed into a long time practice of mentorship and coaching and sponsorship within the organizations that I worked within. And then I happened to have a conversation with a friend who said, you know, coaching is a thing, right? You could just do that for money if you wanted to. You enjoy it so much. It's the thing that you're always finding time and ways to do. You should just do that for your job. 
And that was a really fantastic light bulb moment that had it happened at a very good time. It happened toward the end. That conversation happened toward the end of 2018. And I started my practice in 2019. It was, There was a lot of need in 2020 for reasons that we all know. <laughs> and I it really cemented for me that that was the work that I was supposed to be doing. It was incredibly fulfilling to support so many professionals who were questioning the role of work in their lives and trying to find a, a better way to engage with work and their identities as a professional. And so I, I can't see myself ever doing anything else. Thank you for sharing that journey with me. Um, it's, it's quite a journey and you are doing this work at a critical time. I'd love for you to talk about what you do, what a coach does and, you know, not only kind of like who comes to see you, but at what point you think it's the, the most valuable time to go and see a coach like where in your career you are or maybe it really is just like at any time um, I'd love to hear more about that well coaches generally are meant to be partners that help you walk the path from problem to solution whatever problem you got going on there is a coach somewhere who can help you get from problem to solution and so if you have been working at a problem for more than three months and you are not seeing the prog progress that you would like to see, then it makes sense for you to talk to a professional about it and try something new. To, even if it's just having one conversation where you learn some new ways that you could attack the problem, that can be incredibly helpful uh, in uh, moving toward the solution that you, the future that you want for yourself. Uh, for me, as a career coach, I help people with career problems. And there are lots and lots and lots of different kinds of career problems, depending on where you are in your professional career, what season of life you're in. Um, I support folks who are in roles and thinking about making some sort of transition within the industry or into a new industry and they want some help strategizing that. I support people who are like hard on the job market, looking very actively improving their materials and the way that they show up to interviews, helping them really hone and deliver their professional narrative with confidence, helping them negotiate offers so that they get the best offer that they can. And then once they're in the role, uh, my actually one of my favorite things to support people with is getting really settled in that first 90 days and make sure that you're establishing yourself and building that first 90 days with a lot of intention. And then sometimes folks are just in a role and need some support. Maybe they're experiencing some interpersonal issues or they're having some challenging challenges managing up, maybe having some challenges managing their time or their emotion at work. And sometimes that can be really helpful to have uh, a disinterested third party uh, give you some advice that is grounded in experience, but with no skin in the game, which is the big difference between what you get when you ask friends and family for advice versus when you ask a coach for advice. The coach just wants you to be successful. But you know, if your mom really wishes you would have gone to law school, that's always going to be part of the advice. And I would say beyond that, um, even your mentors, right? So like, depending on who your mentors are, they really may have like, an emotional attachment to you and your growth and depends on what your relationship is. So even thinking about, you know, who might be giving you advice that's not necessarily completely unbiased. Um, it's not many people in your life can actually can, can actually do it. Yeah. And there's a big difference between, um, you know, coaching and therapy and coaching and mentorship. Um, your mentor is choosing to support you because they see potential in you. But that often means that they see that potential growing in a particular way, often similar to their own path. And that can be incredibly valuable. I'm not knocking mentors. Mentors have been incredibly helpful to me in my career. But again, a coach is a disinterested, disinterested third party 
I don't care where you go. I care that you're happy. Um, and then the difference between coaching and therapy is that therapy is generally going to be focused on your personal relationships. And they have a lot of incredibly useful uh, tools and techniques that help you understand yourself and your emotional experience and why you react to the world the way that you do. And But then there are some limitations in terms of taking those tools and those insights and applying them to a corporate workplace, because often therapists work in private practice and don't actually have experience in professional workplaces. And so that can also be a really helpful place to go to get some support from a coach when you want to manage those emotions a little bit better. Uh, and you know the support that you're getting from your therapist is kind of hitting a wall. Many of us, all of us, especially those listening to this podcast, know it has just been an extremely rough time in terms of layoffs and especially in our industry, I mean, communications generally, but especially traditional media, which is a scary part, a scary place for this to happen where the space is not growing. There's not necessarily new jobs being created. Um, and so it really is a, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy time in our industry. I, do you have advice for just what's your initial advice? I mean, we'll talk a lot on this episode about job transitions and all this really productive stuff you can do. Um, when you're transitioning in your career, but for anyone who's just been laid off, like what do you tell people you work with or um, the general population? What what advice do you have? Yeah, so I have been laid off twice and I've had my team taken away from me through a layoff and supported them through that. And so I've personally experienced it. And then also my professional hometown is journalism. I work a lot with journalists, people in the journalism industry, people in the tech industry, people in the, uh, elsewhere in the media and entertainment industry. And so this is something that I've been talking with folks and supporting folks with basically since 2020. And so I have two key things that I tell everyone every single time. The first is the it is absolutely essential to take a beat to balance yourself so that you can show up to the process as the best self you have access to at the time. Uh, what a beat looks like is going to be different from person to person, uh, but layoffs generate really intense emotions, grief, anxiety, anger, shame, resentment. And when these emotions are at a really, really high valence, it's hard to make good decisions about your job search and to represent your yourself well when you get those callbacks. And so if you take that beat to balance yourself to the extent it is possible at that point in your journey, when you show up to the job search, you're going to be able to do a better job. If you just power through, either you're not going to show up well, or you're going to run out of gas really quickly. The second thing that I tell people every single time is to ask for help. There are people in your life who are rooting for you and want you to be successful. Ask them for help, not just with job stuff, but with mental health stuff, life admin stuff. Humans like helping. Always ask for help because either you will get help from that person or you will get good information about where that relationship should sit in your life. And both of those are really good to have. And if you don't have ask for help, you won't get either of them. So many of us, when we go through that layoff, it's like hit the ground running, just like immediately the stress, you're just go, 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 go. And it, that never is good. Good That's a really stuff. dangerous mindset. I So I talk with, about mindset a lot in my practice. I am all about talking about our thoughts and our emotions and how they affect our decision making because our decisions are what affect our lives. And um, that particular mindset of, I just need to find a job right away. I call that a running away mindset. You're running away from a bad job or running away from the, the idea of being unemployed instead of running toward something that you want to achieve or acquire in the next chapter of your 
your career. Uh, and if you are thoughtful about what that is and are focused on what that is, then you are facing forward versus facing behind you. Because if you translate that into physicality, if we're running away from something, we're running in a direction that we're not looking. And so it's really easy to fall in a ditch and trip on a pothole, run into a pole. And the career equivalent of that is taking the first job offer that you get out of desperation and then ending up in a really bad situation that doesn't serve you. I think that's been happening with, with the significant overturn, especially in our industry. People are starting to learn of like not taking that immediate job um, because it has not necessarily been going well. So I think that's incredible advice. And for those who are, you know, kind of sitting in the space of uncertain future, right? So maybe you're still at your job, but you don't know what's gonna happen and you see what's happening in, in the world. What advice do you have for women to kind of stay resilient? Like what can we be doing if we just wanna make sure beyond knowing AI, because I think <laughs> that's one thing, but um, if we're sitting there, we're gainfully employed or we're fine where we are, but knowing that things can change at every moment, what are some things that we should be doing um, in order just to, to you know, protect ourselves and be ready for next steps? Yeah, I'm glad that you used the word resilient because one of the things that I talk about with my clients very frequently, especially once they get toward the end of their um, coaching journey where they've sort of gotten the job or achieved whatever thing, how important it is to invest in your professional resilience regularly. And I call it layoff proofing. And it's like waterproofing where it's about resilience, not prevention. You can't stop someone from laying you off. You can't stop the rain, but you can take steps to prevent rain damage. You can take steps to prevent layoff damage. And so when I talk about, you know, professional resilience or layoff proofing, I call it sort of the three pillars of professional resilience. So the first is savings, the second is skills, and the third is network. Investing regularly in all three of those um, is going to yield really good results over time so that you have a lot in the bank when you need it. But if you're in a crunch right now, these are still the things that are going to help you get through the crunch that you're in. And so once you land that next gig, um, then make the choice to really focus Focus on improving your financial health, making sure that you are saving well and spending properly so that that buffer is there for you and makes you feel less chained to the paycheck and feel a bit more agency to negotiate and ask what you what ask for what you need and leave if the thing that you are experiencing doesn't work for you anymore. And then investing in your skills, don't rest on your laurels, pay attention to what's happening in the industry where the, the needs seem to be changing so that you are always marketable and then grow, maintaining and growing your network so that there are lots and lots and lots of doors for you to knock on if you are looking for an opportunity, that there are lots of people who are inclined to help you if you find yourself in a situation where you need help. That's great. I mean, I think it's really hard I mean, we all know this when you're in a job to just keep, be thinking about be thinking about these things. I just remember kind of like the a more old fashioned way of thinking that was like keeping your resume updated and just, you know, you get to that point when you hit the layoff and it's like, oh, my God, I haven't re updated my resume in five years or whatever. So, I mean, like you're saying, not necessarily, oh, man, I'm going to get laid off any moment, but I'm just always going to make sure I'm prepared for my continued career change and growth. I think we all just need to be hyper aware. And also just like the reality is communications industry, like we have to, and things are just evolving. Like even just we we're talking about before the technology even is evolving. So you could be the best at your job and it just couldn't not be a job anymore in a couple yeah. of years. 
So that is like a very real thing. We we should just be prepared. Not to scare anyone, but yes, resilience. I also like that word. We're not preparing for the apocalypse, but we are just staying vigilant. Well, my recommendation, I know it can feel really intimidating and it can be hard to remember. And so the recommendation that I give to folks is to find a way to put structure around it. However it is that you organize your time or your tasks, make sure that there are regular reminders for you to do something that moves you forward with your professional resilience. Uh, and so uh, shameless plug, the the way that my clients tend to do it is to is hanging out in my Patreon because we meet every week for 30 minutes to just talk about career stuff. And it's just 30 minutes. Like you can find 30 minutes, even if it's just watching the replay. And even if it's just in the back of your mind, a little bit of like career strategy, that can help you make better decisions in your day to day. And sometimes it's going to inspire you to actually do something like reach out to someone or update your LinkedIn or take a look at that resume or to, you know, see if you can set up some automatic savings or something like that. So add some structure to it so that it feels like at the very least a, a topic that you engage with regularly. So at the very, very, very least, it's in the back of your mind. I love that. And also plug away because you have amazing advice. And I'm like, everyone should work with you. Like we all, we all could use a little <laughs> bit more Phoebe in our life, please. You know, I just started um, putting on my calendar and it's very funny because I'm such a crazy person about my time in a good way. Like I really structure my time. I just started putting on my calendar, these like self strategy days, maybe like a, I have a friend who calls them like self summits. But I try, I either try to do shorter amounts of time infrequently, but really the, what's, what's actually worked for me was like a day every, let's call it like 12 weeks. It's not, it's not as frequent as I would like, but it's just that I don't necessarily have the time and just make, I make a list of things like this, like you're saying. So like, I'm going to take that time to look at my LinkedIn. I'm going to take that time to do, you know, update my bio, just things that like I ignore all the time. And I would highly recommend people blocking that time because it's hard to find the time. You you won't. It's it's not even like it's hard. No one will do it if you don't if you don't actually block that calendar. Yeah, I call I actually do life retreats. Um and so I love it. twice a year I do a little staycation, hold myself up in a cute little hotel and and think through like what do I need the next 6 months to look like personally, professionally, financially in my business, in my relationship, in my family relationships, in my community and just spending those 2 days really focused on like eating tasty food and thinking big thoughts about my life. Um, it puts me in a position to be much more intentional for that six month period. Um, and then as we get close to the next one, because I know it's coming, I'm thoughtful about, well, what reflecting on, well, how has the last six months been like, and how do I feel about it? And it really gets you out of that inertia. Being intentional is the thing that's going to make your life more like the life that you would like it to be, because it's very easy for us to live simply on inertia and just sort of be a sailboat with with no other means of propulsion and the wind just takes us wherever it's gonna go but in injecting some intentional time even if it's just taking 30 minutes in a notebook to write down where am i now where do i want to be you're going to be better for just doing that even if that's the only thing that you do it doesn't have to be an elaborate life retreat <laughs> but i would like it to be an elaborate life retreat that sounds very very fun but yeah i think just like i as you're talking i'm thinking, was it always like this? Or is it just the reality of the world that we live in that we have to really make the time? I just wonder if we have all so much going on. And then in addition of our lives and our jobs and our families, like social media and all these added things that this might be a more modern phenomenon that we have to take the time and we should do it. 
Yeah, I definitely think it is a function of the time. You know, there are a lot of demands on our time and attention more than there were, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, it's, and the farther back you go, the fewer demands on our time and attention there were. <laughs> and so uh, I think this is a skill that will continue to become and a habit will, that will continue to be more important because that trend is going to accelerate where there are even more things demanding for our time, demanding for our attention. Um, and our ability to slow down, especially as media speeds up, our ability to slow down and be intentional about how we spend our time and how we want to move our lives forward is going to be the difference. Unless AI just makes everything so easy that like we don't have to do anything. We can just, it's going to do everything. It's going to do everything for us. We don't have to do anything. I'm really excited to hear your advice on this, on this next question, because I feel like I'm giving advice on this all the time and I would love a new perspective. So when you are considering a new job, so whether you're interviewing or have gotten the offer, whether it's internal or external, so at your own company or a new company, what are some of the biggest considerations that you should be thinking about? Like, what are the things that maybe you are already thinking about, but maybe you aren't? Like, they're just, they don't seem so important, but they're so vital once you start. What do you think some of those things are? Yeah, this again goes back to, are you being intentional or is inertia pushing you in a direction? It can be very, very tempting to just get swept up in an application process and then you have an offer in front of you and there's all this momentum that's pushing you toward um, taking it, taking it. And even if you know, you're gonna pause to negotiate, the, the momentum is take it once the negotiation is over, right? Um, and I encourage all of my clients to really take time to ask the most important question, does this meet my needs? It seems really obvious, but most people don't really take the time to really think through what their needs are and compare them to what the job entails. They look at a job description and say, oh, that's a good job. They look at a pay range and say, oh, that sounds like good money. They look at an offer and say, oh, I'd love to get paid that. And then just sort of accept it. But that blindly sort of chasing the money, trusting the vibes, or even worse, just being really focused on getting away from a bad situation, that running away versus running toward mindset that we talked about a little bit earlier, whatever your needs are at this particular season of your life, they are valid. If they have changed, if they are changing, whatever they are, if they are different from people who look like you or talk like you or are your age group, it doesn't matter. Your needs are your needs. They are valid, but you need to know what they are really, really clearly and then compare them to what you understand about the job. And ideally, having those needs be incorporated into the way that you are asking questions and evaluating information about the job throughout the entire application process. I always recommend folks do this on paper, not in your heads. If you are an internal processor, it can be really challenging to just hold on to a thread. Like we barely think in a straight line, let alone a full sentence. But even talking about it with someone, those insights are not being captured in any way. You are having a conversation then it's getting lost in the ether. If you take some time to actually write it down, you end up with an artifact that you can use as a rubric as you are moving through the application process. If, you know, concepts A, B, and C are important to me, what are interview questions that I can ask the interviewer about these things to assess whether this meets my needs? Now that I've gotten to the end of the process and I'm looking at an offer and I'm reflecting on the experience I've had so far, let me look at this artifact of my needs and go line by line. Do I feel like this meets enough of my needs for me to say yes? And if you get to through go through that analysis and you get to a point where you feel like, yes, it meets enough of my needs, you're going to feel really confident about that yes. It's going to feel like you are choosing it versus it choosing you. That's so great. 
I am, I think that, I mean, again, I feel what's so helpful about this conversation. I hope helpful to listeners is like really trying to avoid that feeling of desperation in these job transitions is just going to set you up for such incredible, incredible success. Speaking of setting you up for success, actually, I think, you know, another thing that's interesting about this moment is like people are making a lot more, making a lot more job transitions at different and new times that they weren't necessarily planning on it because of the landscape, right? So you think you're going to stay somewhere forever. Um, I think the magazine industry specifically is a place where people were working towards a specific goal at a specific age, like whether it's editor in chief or top, top level editor and those jobs just, there's so few of them. So when you're starting a new job now, um, you know, you're maybe not in the place you thought you would be. And um, I, what this made us think about kind of is like those first impressions. So when you're diving in and you're making a first impression again, um, so <laughs> I know first impression all over again. So what advice do you have about thinking about those first impressions, how to feel about them even, and, and kind of what advice would you give in terms of, you know, securing your future success at the company from day one? I'm going to be a complete broken record throughout this entire podcast. Love it. Tell I already. Love it. It'll make it easy. It'll make it easy. Intentionally. Be intentional. Be intentional. This is one where people tend to overthink or underthink. Uh, you can't start before you start and you can't do the job before you learn the job. And so in the beginning, focus on giving yourself grace and space to climb the learning curve. Um, but try to give that process some structure. Be really intentional about developing the working relationship you have with your boss and your colleagues. Ask them very explicit questions about what they what they care about, what are their problems, what are their priorities, what are their preferences, what do they care about, and what? how do they want to work with you. Build that working relationship with a great deal of intention. Don't let inertia just make it happen. Um, those sorts of conversations are going to make it so much easier as the job gets more complex and the sort of new person forgiveness starts to go away. Um, if you are finding things out by accident after the new person forgiveness has faded, um, it's going to make it a lot harder for you to be successful in the role and to hold on to that reputation than if you ask all of those air quotes, dumb questions when you have that new person grace. So use the new person grace and don't listen to the new person jitters. Um, get to know the stakeholders in your work, understand how power and influence moves through the organization. And all of that's going to help you understand what success really looks like in the role and at the company. And then you can be intentional about acting accordingly. And of course, keep really good records. If you have a conversation with a, a stakeholder and they say, these are the things that are important to me. This is how I would like our working relationship to operate. Send that recap email so that you can go back to it and say, oh, we had that conversation, you know, back in January when I started and you said that these were the things that were important. Has something changed? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, as you're saying that, I'm like, the thing that I think I'm noticing, um, we, meaning most people that I meet with professionally, um, people I know through New York Wiki, through other organizations I'm involved with, something we don't take advantage of are like these AI note-taking tools, not to bring it all back to AI, but we are kind of in an interesting, just when you said documentation, an interesting place of documentation. And some of them, I know Otter AI, like it will not only summarize your notes, but you can later search them. And so I think some of these things that um, will, A, feel a little bit daunting, I know note-taking in general, but even just thinking about documentation and how we all have the ability to really like, 
especially when you start a new job, if you're allowed to use them, um, document everything. I think it's an interesting uh, tool that we could use um, to have those conversations or to record those conversations and have someone else summarize the notes for you because that can feel completely like crazy, you know, crazy. Um, another thing I wanted to ask on this note, and I've had horrible experience with this personally, meaning I was not good at it, is around boundary setting when you start a new job. So on this podcast, we talk about balance, right? We've gotten, we don't call it work-life balance anymore. We just call it balance. Like sometime your work is going to be more and your life is going to be more. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. But, um, you know, I think one huge challenge when you start a new role is like, you don't want to push back and be that person that always says no, but at the same time, that is your opportunity for boundary setting. Like, are you the person that works late? Are you the person that takes on too much work? Um, and it's just like a really, really sensitive and difficult time. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, how to position yourself and any tips you have on making sure that you're not just become like a yes person from, from day one. Yeah. So most conflict is about either missed expectations or unclear expectations. And so when we are at the beginning of a role and we don't know what the expectations are around work hours or workload, uh, it can be really easy for there to become tension or anxiety or even conflict in the working relationship when one person has a set of expectations that the other person doesn't share or one person has a set of expectations that the other person isn't willing or able to meet. And so it is so incredibly important for you to get information about expectations. Don't try to read between the lines. Don't carry with you whatever, however things worked in your last role. Ask questions very explicitly. And if you, if it makes you feel better to frame it in the, hey, you know, I'm new and this might be a dumb question, but then sure, I don't do that unless you absolutely feel like that's the only way you can get the question out because as women, we are more likely to ask our questions that way. But it is absolutely crucial for you to get that information about expectations and have it be explicit and send that recap email. <laughs> and then once you have that, then really uh, pay attention to the anxiety and the insecurity and the new person jitters that encourage you to go beyond the expectations that have been set for you. New person jitters are the absolute mortal enemy of anyone who wants work-life balance by their own definition because it's going to push you to prove that you deserve the new role by overextending yourself. And if you set that precedent, then you're stuck with it. It's really hard to walk that back. It's a lot easier, not to say that it's easy, but it's a lot easier to set good boundaries up front and defend them than to claw back ground that you have ceded to your employer or to your supervisor. That's such excellent, such excellent advice. It is our, in why is it our instinct? Like if someone tells you exactly their expectation, to still go above and beyond it like just I mean it's cultural conditioning as women we are culturally conditioned to make the people around us comfortable especially if those people are men and so our natural inclination if we've received that cultural conditioning and especially if we received a lot of it is to overextend ourselves for the comfort of others but you can make a different choice you can recognize that you've learned certain lessons from your family of origin or your culture of origin or the media that you've consumed and you can say that lesson doesn't serve me and I'm going to put it to the side and I'm going to learn a new way of being. If you are, if making that change brings up anxiety or insecurity or any other difficult emotions, which is very likely to do, 
you can choose to feel the emotion and do the thing that is in the interest of your best and future self. Even if the emotion wants you to do something different, you can feel anxious, you can feel fearful and still do the brave thing. I need to get in your Patreon. I'm telling you, this is, <laughs> this alone is, is changing my, my own life and perspective. I love it so much. Thank you. <laughs> I, I want to talk about some of the specific, I mean, we talked about many challenges, but even more specific challenges that you can encounter when starting a new job. So, um, you know, imposter syndrome, like learning, learning your responsibilities, like what are some other challenges, not to, cre not to create problems, but or are there other challenges that you see with the people that you're coaching that you have any advice on? Like things you're seeing over and over again that just don't essentially need to happen. They're almost things that we're creating, problems we're creating, and how we can kind of handle them. Yeah. So this is definitely going to follow on from where we last left off from the last question. Um, it, we work makes us feel things. Uh, it is a work is a human experience. The human experience is an emotional experience. Work is an emotional experience. And often when we feel those emotions, we, because of cultural conditioning, will downplay those emotions or feel like those emotions are inappropriate for the workplace or that we are overreacting. Emotions are normal and natural, but they don't have to be in charge of your life. And so you can be nervous or fearful and do the brave thing anyway, do the scary thing anyway. Um, do it anyway is one of the most powerful skills that you can learn because anxiety is the primary emotion that I support people through when it comes to career coaching. Anxious about asking the question or talking to the boss or asking for the raise or applying for the job or sending the networking, so much anxiety. And so do it anyway is a skill that you can develop as you are dealing with the, the learning curve of your new responsibilities and your new relationships, because the anxiety is gonna think that going to be the thing that encourages you to keep make yourself small or to overextend yourself. But if you're able to choose bravery instead, then you will go out and send that random DM to that random colleague and say, I saw your name on a document and just wanted to say, hi, I'm new. And that can turn into a really fantastic collaborative relationship or maybe even future opportunities, but only if you find the brave thing. Now, sometimes the emotions are intense enough that we need help with those things. And Therapists, mentors, and coaches can really be incredibly helpful if those emotional experiences are so intense or those mindset challenges are so intense that they keep you from doing the thing that you really want to be able to do, um, but only if you seek out and leverage that support. Now, one thing that I will say is that while therapists are really great for the emotional side of this and mentors are really great for the tactical part of career stuff, a coach is the way it's kind of in the middle um, where we will take those emotional things and say, okay, let's process this and turn this into a, uh, a direction that feels right for who you want to be and where you want to go and then have that direction and turn it into an tactical action plan that is relevant for your career. Uh, so processing the emotional stuff and the mindset stuff so that you can actually execute an effective game plan in your career. I, I mean, I think that's amazing advice. And I think that is like something, um, you know, throughout my time in the workplace has been a really, really challenge, a challenge for so many, especially women that I work with, like not, not bringing that emotion inappropriately into the space. Right. So like, do you have any, advice i mean maybe this is the whole thing maybe this is why we all need a coach so maybe you can't tell it on the mo in the moment but in terms of you know is it really just like take a moment or something like what is it is there any kind of tactical advice for not taking those 
emotions necessarily in where you're just kind of seeming extremely emotional and not necessarily like someone who's making the best business decision, for example. I think that's a really big challenge. I mean, like you said, I think there's lots of things that we can do to kind of manage that generally and we all need it for sure. Um, but any any other like little quick quick hits or quick tips or easy in the moment things that we could be doing. Um, I wish I could say that, that there's an that. easy in the moment thing. Yeah. This is something where it is so helpful to pair uh, uh, therapy with coaching or executive coaching yeah. because therapy is going to help you identify the, uh, understand your own biography and your own skills and your own self and why you react the way that you do to the world around you. And it's also going to help you get some coping mechanisms and coping skills so that when a particular troublesome emotion comes up, you know what to do to down modulate that. But then coaching or executive coaching helps you develop that leadership presence, that executive presence. So the emotion comes up, you know what to do with it. And then you know how to sort of switch over to your rational brain and say, okay, this is what needs to happen from a communications perspective or a strategy perspective or a business perspective. And this is how I'm going to show up to the negotiation or collaboration with these folks who are making me feel all of the things and still be seen and perceived as the leader or the executive that I am, even though I'm experiencing emotions. Because it's not about like trying to shove the emotions into a closet. I'm sure we all know that does not work. It's about being able to process them, put them in the backseat, and stay in the driver's seat ourselves. And it's also personal, right? I mean, meaning each person, it's going to be completely different how you process it. So absolutely. It absolutely comes down to your family of origin, culture of origin, media consumption, all of natural inclinations and temperament. And so it's a different cocktail for everyone, which means the action plan coming out of that is going to be different for everyone. I want to talk a little about personal branding. It's been just such a topic, um, hot topic over the years. And I wanted to hear your perspective on, you know, if it's still relevant and if so, how do we really build our personal brand? I mean, I know this is a lot of what people go into coaching and other support to do because there's a lot of work around it, but just kind of generally, I think that what I'd love our audience to understand is kind of how important is it in the grand scheme of things of your career and job search specifically? And then how do you kind of, where do you even get started? Yeah. So I want to make sure that we mean the same things when we say personal brand. Um, often when folks come to me, they are talking about their brand assets. And so we're communications professionals here. We know the difference between brand and brand assets. Your brand assets are your resume and your cover letter and your LinkedIn and your portfolio website, those sorts of things. And so your brand assets are different from your brand. Your brand assets are a reflection of your brand. Uh, it's not a, you know, that a brand is not a press release or a social media account or even a logo. It's what those things represent. They help tell the brand story, but they are not themselves the brand. And the same is true for you. And so your brand is not your application materials or your LinkedIn or your personal website or your social media or anything like that. It is the principles those assets are built upon. So who are you as a person, as a professional? Why do you do the work that you do? What is distinctive about your approach to the work or your journey to the work? 
What are your goals in the work? These are the things that we want represented in your brand assets, such as your resume, cover letter, LinkedIn, and so forth. And if you are thinking about your brand first and then the brand assets, then you're going to end up with assets that are both really compelling, but also really authentic to who you are so that you are attracting the kinds of opportunities that are really going to light you up. And you're not going to end up uh, looking generic because you are unique. And so if your brand assets are a reflection of you, they will themselves be unique. And I think that that is incredibly essential in this moment where um, the labor market is contracting and contracted for this industry, um, but also in a moment where a lot of the recruiting is happening more actively from the recruiter side, where they are going out and trying to find out who are the people who are leading the conversation on social media, on LinkedIn? Who are the folks in my network who I know? Who are the friends of friends who seem to really uh, have strong ideas? If your brand assets are a strong reflection of your brand, then it's going to be a lot easier for those folks to discover you. And it's also going to be much easier for you to find yourself discoverable and compelling to folks that you'd like to be in your professional network. Even as we're talking, like I think to me, it's making sure this is just also intentional, right? So if you're going to start thinking about what this brand is, like taking the time to sit down and do it versus just kind of like running with it along with everything else, because it is it is something that just really does take time and work, right? I mean, I shouldn't say work because it is it should be actually it's okay to call it work you what is you it's okay to call it work uh the sort of the the first part where you are you know you have the brand consultant come in and everyone does you know post it's on the that part's fun (laughs) and then then once that's over you have to take the hard work actually becomes of of taking those insights and those patterns and those principles that you've identified and applying them to the brand assets. And that is actually work. And it is helpful to uh, have a partner who can be a sounding board to make sure that you are aligning the way that you'd like to. And it's great when that partner is really well-versed in the tactical bit. Now, not that to, to just plug myself the whole time. So you you can certainly do this with a coach, but you can also do this with a mentor. You can also do this with uh, another member of your professional network, somebody who knows the field. Um, that can, especially if someone who has hiring experience, that can be somebody who can be really helpful in helping you develop your own brand assets. But if you find that those folks are not available to you or not reliable for you, or if you're falling down the Google rabbit hole and just being overwhelmed by how many different recommendations there are, then it can be helpful to work with a professional instead. I could talk to you all day and I feel like you should have charged me for this, honestly, because (laughs) it was just like so insightful. But before we do wrap up, which unfortunately we need to, um, do you have a favorite piece of career advice? Like, is there, you've given, I mean, this has all been career advice. It's been incredible, but do you have like a uh, fun or not so fun or interesting piece of advice you just think is like the best piece of career advice, what applies to everyone? Everyone should know this. Uh, it's okay to quit a job before you hit that three-year mark, two-year mark, one-year mark if it's not working for you. The It turns into a problem when it's a pattern. If you have an established history of consistent employment and then you end up in a job that's not a good fit, 
it is okay to leave. Um, stay at a job for three years is probably the worst advice I've ever received. Um, it creates a lot of misery. It has no nuance. Um, we get fed a lot of cultural programming about how we should love work and be grateful for work and that work should be our key source of meaning and fulfillment and that we should seek to be irreplaceable at work. And that can just create a lot of really unhealthy relationships with money and with work and especially with our identities as professionals. And so if you find yourself in a role that really does feels 100% wrong, look back and if you don't have a pattern of jumping around if majority of the roles that you've had so far up until that point you've been in them for over a year give yourself permission to leave early it's okay to hit the eject button if it's not working for you so many people needed to hear that thank you so many people needed to hear that so where can our listeners find you um where can they follow you on social media what's your website Sure. So you can head over to my website, which is betterwithphoebe.com if you'd like to work with me one-on-one. -on -one. And you can head over to my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash betterwithphoebe if you'd like to get full access to my career strategy course library and hang out with me on Thursdays for career Q&A. Get a little injection of inspiration. I love it. Well, I, I truly so appreciate your time. This has been amazing. Thank you so, so much. Um, I hope we can stay connected and I, we just really want to say thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was fantastic. You've been listening to Women Heard, presented by New York Women in Communications. I'm your host, Julie hakaiser Ilkovich. Thank you to our incredible producer, Liz Roberts, and the amazing team that works on this podcast, Chelsea Orcutt, Chrisanne Grise, Mandy Carr, Alex Fetter, who wrote our original theme music, and all of the wonderful volunteers on the podcast committee. A special thank you to Donna Jean Plant and everyone at New York Wiki who supports us. For more information about New York Women in Communications, including how to join and all about upcoming events, go to nywiki.org. That's nywiki.org. And please take a moment to rate and review our show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.